0: Welcome to another Community Connect program here with Edwina and Greg McHenry. We're on OCRFM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast. We're also streaming live at all the W's OCRFM.org.au. I'd like to pay respect to and acknowledge the Gulaguen people who are the custodians of the land we're on today, as well as the Gadabanud who are along the coast. I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and future. Well, today we're going to be talking about the International Overdose Awareness Day, which is a global event held on the 31st of August each year and aims to raise awareness of overdose and reduce the stigma of drug-related death. It also acknowledges the grief felt by families and friends remembering those who have died or had a permanent injury as a result of drug overdose. And today we've got Craig Harvey from Barwon Health who specialises with harm reduction Overdose prevention and increasing community, increases community development and awareness around drug use. Not abuse. Hello, Craig.
1: Hello, Greg. No, not abuse. Drug use.
0: It's drug use because I think um, you and I have known each other for a number of years and it's the abuse that causes it, but it's still use and it's going to happen come hella high water, isn't it? But we'll go into that a little yeah, bit later talk, on.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about it a bit later.
0: Yeah, because yeah. also I want to say hello. Before we go any further with you, Edwina, yes. thank you very much for getting us here again today. It's a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed your coffee in bed. I did. Thank Good thank on you. Yeah. <laughs> right, and in between, in between the rows and the, well, the other one.
1: You mean you were going to say thorn, then, weren't no, you? No, I wasn't <laughs> going to say thorn. I wouldn't say that,
0: Craig, you've got a, you've got this bloke. He's got as much hair as you. Yes. Who is he? Uh, I've got his name as Nigel, and he's got an accent
1: yes yeah so nigel's a uh, nigel's a good friend of mine for, from the u k who uh does similar work so we've uh, we've known each other for quite a long time now uh and we've got a, we we met through social media actually so i w i had uh i'd gone on to uh i'd gone onto his website to steal all his amazing stuff that he creates uh to use to kind of further some of our harm reduction work that we were doing. So Nigel's created lots of, uh, lots of posters and imagery around preventing overdose and acknowledging the fact that drug, uh, drug use is part of society and always will be, and we need to do as much as we can to kind of maintain the health and well-being of people. Uh, so I went and stole a lot of Nigel's stuff, but thought the courteous thing to do was to introduce myself before I, before I robbed him. Uh, <laughs> and we started talking through email, et etc. Et and then I was lucky enough to go back to the U.K., uh, a few years ago, and go to an event that's been put uh, that's put on by uh, by HIT, which is the organisation. One of the one of the things that Nigel does, which he he can talk about in a minute, uh, and met face to face there. And now, all these years later, Nigel is uh, is here doing some work here, which is really great. He can tell you what he's doing here himself, I guess, rather than me explaining it.
0: Yeah, it's fabulous to meet you. Um... I, I was going to say, you know, I made mention we had a visitor came into the studio. I said he, he's a hit man, and it yeah. didn't it didn't come out quite the way I thought it, it would. It makes me sound
2: very different to what I really am.
0: I know you. You're I, such a gentle soul by the look of you.
2: I actually, my my day job um, is over the course of a couple of days a week. I work for an organisation called Hit in the UK, and we produce um, leaflets, advice deliver training um, and run campaigns around harm reduction in the UK and internationally and we run a conference every year and then the rest of my time I spend making websites and doing harm reduction based photography
0: so now, I saw that on your on the site harm reduction photography now what is that though it doesn't it seems sort of ethereal
2: there's there's a lot of people doing amazing work like Craig Craig does amazing work in harm reduction and because it's such an unknown quantity and these are people who are out there saving lives all the time and innumerable numbers of lives but nobody ever gets to see their face and it's not just people working in projects it's people who are helping their friend who's overdosed in the street um so I do a lot of portraiture of people doing this kind of work i do a lot of photography at conferences um and just focusing in on things like the equipment that we supply to people and showing that and showing how it's used in the environments that it's used in
0: and then displaying them as the next part of it is where we want to get it to the audience who needs to see these things though nigel
2: yeah um we do a lot of a lot of my stuff gets used online um there's a few public online publications in the uk that quite often use my uh photography especially the conference photography gets used a, a hell of a lot by people like arm reduction international um but then, yeah, the, the ultimate goal is to sort of get gallery spaces to use some of the images. There's a campaign I'm working on at the moment that's taking photos of places that people inject in public. So alleyways, um, doorways, places that you wouldn't want to be there, where people go to the toilet at 3 o'clock in the morning when they're drunk, Um and people are using their drugs there in the most unsterile environments. So part
0: of... But, but, but that's what we're, we're forcing people to do, though, exactly. isn't it, really?
2: And, and part of th- that campaign is, in the UK, our government have said that they don't want safe drug consumption spaces. So no, here, which here, we call
0: safe injecting rooms. Yeah, so,
2: so here you've got an injecting room in Sydney, you've got a new one that's just opened up in Yarra, and we're not allowed those in the UK. And the... you've you've not really got them in a big way here but the idea is if we can show these places where people are being forced to use and there are most vulnerable members of society are being forced to use these spaces and we can juxtapose those images with images from these safer injecting spaces where it's sterile areas, there's nurses on site, there's oxygen available, there's naloxone easily available, and nobody's ever died in these spaces, then hopefully we can get the public understanding that, you know, th- there's better, it's all well and good complaining about drug-related litter, but that's there because that's where people are being met, effectively forced to use if they're homeless. Or they're young people who have nowhere else to go because they, they don't, use in their own home because their parents might find out and kick them out of that home
0: so yeah, this is going back a little bit to where we were talking about use craig mm. it's a, going to be a cultural change really isn't it i mean i'm, I'm gobsmacked that england hasn't got the in safe injecting rooms yeah but i mean it's a cultural change really for people to understand that the use is going to always be there yeah and that we need to be well, there's another point too. It's now, you're now calling it, instead of minimisation, we're now calling it reduction. What... But well, no, there's a. <laughs> why why the shift yeah. there in the vernacular? Well, there's a. Fr- and, and where are we going to go with it to change the culture?
1: Mm. Well, there's a. First of all, the, the terminology that you're using, there's a framework. And the framework, there's an umbrella term, which harm minimisation is. And within that, what that explains are three different pillars uh, of our approach in kind of in tackling substance use. One of them is supply reduction, which gets the largest amount of the funding. The, uh, the, I'm talking about Australia now, but the largest spend. Uh, which makes up about 60, 70% of the funding, and that funding is to uh, is to that's our border security. That's to stop drugs making their way into the country. That's to control precursor chemicals that people can use to make other substances. When When drugs inevitably get into the country, after spending the the over 50% of the budget in stopping them, we spend some money on demand reduction, which is the other one of the pillars. And what's contained within that is when supply reduction aims have failed, we try and dissuade people from using drugs in the first place. And that, you know, historically, that's a lot of these campaigns around, you know, uh, just say no, drugs are bad, you know, all this sort of stuff that kind of like that that puts the blame onto the substance as opposed to Uh, thinking about people's lives in context. And then harm reduction, which gets about 2% of the funding in Australia, is that when supply reduction has failed, when demand reduction has failed, and people inevitably behave like people always had since there have been people, which is people like to alter the way that they think and feel, and use substances, we try, in harm reduction, to make that process as safe as it can possibly be. We don't judge whether people... uh, use drugs or not. We don't use words like good and bad, right and wrong. That's completely irrelevant. What's relevant is that all human lives are precious. Yes. We have got time and ability and uh, and we're afforded the luxury of being able to find out from international colleagues and people all around the world how do we make this safer? And then we go about just trying to make it safer and meeting people where they're at. And that's what harm reduction is. So harm, harm minimisation is still there. Those other pillars are still there. They're yeah. still getting plenty of money. You know, We're still getting plenty of police. We're still getting plenty of border security. We're still getting plenty of drug campaigns that try and dissuade people from using drugs. And sometimes those things work. I'm not saying we shouldn't do all that sort of stuff. I think this, the way that it's spent is uh, maybe needs a bit of consideration. But, uh, but harm reduction, certainly for me, and without wanting to speak for Nigel, for Nigel, is that this is... Uh, this is incredibly important work, and it relies on what is globally a pretty small community of people. I mean, you've got two people from other hemispheres sitting in the room that know one another and know one another purely because our work is important and we reach out to each other.
0: And, it is, and, and people just don't realise how that it is a global thing because they try and... Make it parochial that we're the only ones that have this problem, and they've got to look at the global picture, really. Well, here's
1: the the global picture we're going to be on air for an hour today. Yeah. Globally, by the time we finish, 21 people will have died of an overdose.
0: How many of those in Australia? Because I know that. Uh,
1: um, um, This year, I think the numbers were Australia wide, were. Uh, getting close to 1200 people.
0: Yeah, now I heard a figure that reminded me of, uh, years ago you probably weren't here Craig that there was a declare war on 1034 which was the road toll yeah. in Australia. Yeah. You remember that?
1: Uh, well, now no, I, know I know of it though yeah. and I know of it for a very specific reason because we, we've done very very well in reducing the road toll but that process if I was to say to you don't drink and drive you What's the end of that sentence? You idiot. You bloody yeah, idiot. You bloody idiot. Wipe off five. Arrive. Alive. Right. So do you think that's me sitting at my desk thinking of a catchy slogan and printing it out on the office printer when the boss isn't there so I can do it in colour? Or do you think that's an organisation spending millions of dollars doing TV campaigns, putting things on billboards on the side of motorways? Mm. That sort of, that's how we've reached it. And if you look at 2009... Was the year that overdoses eclipsed the road top, and that disparity has continued every single year. it has gone yeah. berserk. Yeah. So, the. I've like, where, where, where well, yes, I, we know you're asking about overall death. I'm yeah, talking yeah. about this, this global community and mm-hmm. the fact that it's important to think about the fact that people are dying every moment all around mm-hmm. the world. 21 people by the time we go off air. I mean, that's a, that's a heartbreaking statistic. You know, when you, th- when you think about when you think about the the number of years of life that are lost, I read that in the UND uh, the UNDOC report that I think we lost 26 million years of life from uh, from preventable overdose. That's all the all the years that all these people that are dying every moment.
2: And the thing that makes that almost palatable for politicians that they don't. M- that gets ignored whereas road le- road deaths matter to them is because this is a group of people who can be stigmatized this is a group of people who are committing a crime by their drug use alone they're stigmatized they're seen as the the lowest of the low in society so it's not that there's a lot of there are a lot of people dying it's that there's a lot of people dying that aren't likely to vote they're thought of as being throwaway members of society but I know for instance a university professor in the United States who had his life saved with naloxone became a university professor he now distributes naloxone to thousands of people he's part of an organisation who's one of the biggest distributors of it in the world who have helped people all around the world and if you think that one person hadn't saved his life those people's lives wouldn't be saved and those people wouldn't be saving other lives mm. and it's, it's these are family members these are our family members, they're people who have may not have had the best starts in life not everybody, some people are coming from a position of privilege and use drugs but a lot of the time it's people who are using drugs to cope with the way that they're seen in society and we shouldn't be doing this, we're letting people die Um, Harm Reduction International have got, when uh, Craig was talking about the funding, we get a tiny amount of funding in harm reduction around the world. Harm Reduction International have asked for 10% of the money that's put into the crime side of stuff, so put into policing and the army, they've asked for 10% of that money to be put into harm reduction, because... That would be so much more even than we need. We could do so much with that. We could reduce bloodborne virus rates, we could reduce overdose, we could reduce um people who are starting to use drugs by a huge amount just by engaging them earlier. But we the governments aren't doing that because why would you do that for a group of people that you can just throw away?
0: I've heard a term used because it's not sexy. Yeah. It's like stroke is not sexy. Mm-hmm. But since when weren't drugs sexy? Drugs are, drugs are seen in the
2: media, in, in movies, as being sexy. So why is it we've got this disconnect where we see that there? But if I if I Google images of um, heroin, and I've, I've done this for a presentation that I'm giving tonight, if I Google images of heroin, you get these amazingly dowdy images. They're all the same. They're all horribly inaccurate. If I Google messages, if I Google for images of cannabis they're sexy images. They're all young women blowing these beautiful big plumes of smoke with these (laughs) wonderfully rolled um, joints. Bushy, great big plants. Society is is easier to accept something because so many of us have done that at some point in our lives. So it's like, well, we'll accept that. But this percentage of people who are using drugs which we say are really bad, even though they're similar or in in many cases the same drugs as we might use when we're in pain ourselves.
0: Which is a thing we've really got to get to now because we need to, the naloxone. We've got interesting t-shirts on, except for you Edwina. Oh, Where, what me. have you got on yours Craig? Yours says support. Mine not, says support, not stigma. And
1: yours mine Nigel? got naloxone. And what does mine say? Yours says yarn safe. No shame <laughs> in talking it out. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I'm missing
0: this culturally. Um, uh, <laughs> well, that's what we do. We have a yarn. Okay, right. Just okay. we're having a yarn. Okay, a, a chat a talk a yarn. Safe. Okay. A talk safe. But you've mentioned naloxone, but what we're talking about is primarily overdosing. We're talking about opioids really here, aren't we? Uh,. Well we're talking about all drugs, but we can but, but isn't it the predominant one, and the one that is causing lot like pre- prescription stuff it's not just the heroin uh, yeah, so and the stuff on the street Well no, so depends where like we're going
1: The prescription opioid uh, deaths have been uh, are certainly higher than uh, than heroin deaths. Historically, when we look when we look at the in the last kind of like three four years, we've seen a, a huge rise in prescription opioid deaths, and we're doing some uh, we're doing some supply and demand reduction uh, strategies to reduce that. Uh, but most notably from the coroner's findings is, and I'll quote it because it's a little bit because it's. The, the datas uh, it 's not necessarily confusing but it's interesting that so steadily increasing heroin involvement in victorian overdose deaths was a highly notable finding from the coroner's and between two thousand and twelve and two thousand and seventeen the annual frequency of victorian he- heroin involved overdose deaths has doubled so we we focus we have focused rightly on reducing the harms of of prescription opioids when they're uh, when they're used we give people education around tolerance and not assuming that a pharmaceutical opioid is safer we assist people in injecting those drugs uh, as safely as they possibly can and we provide naloxone to people uh, as a blanket rule if we have the opportunity to provide naloxone to someone whether they're using opioids or not they could, be, they could be a methamphetamine user. We still try and provide naloxone to them. Because we've all what got is
0: naloxone? Well,
1: it's nothing to do with methamphetamine. It's to do, it, it temporarily reverses the effects of an opioid overdose. But everyone has got lots of people in their orbit. And just because my, the substance I prefer to use is a stimulant, that doesn't mean that the, your preferred substance is alcohol and opioids. So we try and put it into the hands of every, every of everyone we meet that might meet someone that's using an opioid because that's what saves people's lives. And naloxone is better in the hands of pe- uh, of people that have these huge communities of people around them that are made up of people like us in this room and Mm. we're all very different we've all got our own uh, we've all got our own kinks do you know what I mean we all like our own certain things so we try and put it into the hands of everyone but when we're talking about opioid deaths opioid deaths keep on rising and keep on rising and keep on rising naloxone Mm. is the difference to that what's most interesting and this is uh there's nothing heartwarming in the coroner's report don't get me wrong because the coroner's report lays out for us that more people died this year than they did last year but in, uh, in Geelong where we've had a really really active overdose prevention education program and a really really active naloxone program where we don't send people off prescriptions we don't send people to a pharmacy to go and pay for it, buy a medication they can't afford we put naloxone in their hands at the time of training uh... Our numbers, when you look at this data, have halved in our region between 16 and 17. We've halved the numbers of people that have died from an, o- uh, from an overdose, an opioid overdose. So we know that these programs work. Yeah. You know,
0: we just need people to take up on it. Yeah. Well, just before we need to have a little break, and we're going to put one of your tracks on. The, with the uh, just thinking about you and your photography there, Nigel, that we have cigarettes that have horrible images on cigarette packages. Yeah. We, on our, we go back to our yeah. road toll, mm-hmm. there's horrible imagery put on through Transport Accident Commission.
2: And you don't notice it after about five or ten weeks. You won't notice that image. So people get a cigarette packet with a horrible image on. That,
0: and they don't that, give that a image, damn.
2: That image doesn't matter after a while, it ceases to be noticed because there's no novelty to
0: it. So how do we get yours to do the impact and make it, in? what do they call it, indelible? We need an indelible impact. In. You, you
2: don't have it there all the time you with with any campaigning and one of the things that i i deliver training about how to do this kind of campaigning with any campaigning you need to change it a lot so um craig works in a needle exchange if he just puts the same overdose posters up every week and that they stay up and they're up for a couple of years nobody's going to notice them if he even just moves which wall they're on because it's a it changes where it is in your eye line you'd get more impact from it so with your cigarette advertising it would probably weirdly help to take those images off for a while and then put them back on just periodically because then they'd be something different on those packets to notice Mm.
0: You guys have got to make this an international project. It already is. Look at us.
1: <laughs> here, we, here we are. Here we what, are.
0: We, well, what are we going to do? You're going to give us a program, give us a track to listen to. Look, you're on Community Connect with Greg McHenry and Ed on on OCRFM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast, where we're streaming live also at uh, all the W's, OCRFM.org.au. And we've got Craig Harvey from Barwon Health and Nigel Brunston, who's. We still haven't really heard a lot about what Hit is about. The, we just had that joke, so we'll talk a little bit about that after, the tra- after this track. And Edwina, you're sitting there quietly because these two blokes talk like hell, don't they? Yeah, they're wonderful. Wakewood, wakewood. Yep. All right. So we're going to have this little break and we'll be back with you shortly. Well, that's a track that has been brought in here by Craig Harvey, who is um, a Bowen Health person, and uh, he's got sitting next to him Nigel Brunsden, who's a Hit community manager from the UK, and Edwina McHenry, who's just gorgeous, I guess. Yeah, from home. From home. <laughs> and I'm Greg McHenry, and welcome back to Community Connect. We're on OCR FM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast, where it's now around about 29 minutes past the hour. We're really whizzing through this one. M- we mentioned in Loxone before, it's also known as Narcan. I know that. hmm I don't think people really understand what we were talking about there.
1: Yeah. So uh, what might be interesting, I guess, at the end, of I've I've spoken a little bit about our our program and its success. I'll I'll quickly quickly go through what naloxone is, but what I'm interested in is looking at the comparisons between how our programs operate and what we do in our NSP and it being the interface for people to provide naloxone and what's happening in the UK. But before we go there, naloxone is a opioid antagonist and what that means is that if somebody has taken too much of an opioid and they've stopped breathing if you inject naloxone, very simply put, if you inject naloxone, it goes to those same bits of the brain, it displaces the opioids that are there and that allows the person to regain breathing. Now it wears off uh, after somewhere between sort of like half an hour and an hour and a half uh, and people can can fall back into overdose again, which is why it's important to call an ambulance and do all the the normal stuff you do if anyone was in trouble. But uh, but fundamentally, the if we can provide it early to people rather than waiting 15 20 minutes for an ambulance to turn up, we've, we increase the likelihood of people's lives being saved. That's what naloxone does. It stop it reverses an overdose after it's already occurred. So like I said, we provide it through lots of different ways at the moment now, and I can talk about those a bit later if if that's if that's interesting. But what I'm more interested in is how NSPs and and how that and how that process works in the UK, because it's been a long time since I was there. You know, uh, I haven't worked in the field in the UK for 12 years now. So, yeah.
0: but one thing on that, in the side of the giving the the injection, and then calling for an ambulance. I think one thing that um, we really, I'd like you to to talk about too, is just briefly, the importance and there's no need to be fearful. If mm. someone is overdosing, ring yeah. for help. Yeah. Ring the police, fire ambulance, yeah. whatever it is, because it's better to yeah. save the life. Yeah.
1: Let me get those steps right actually. What we what we teach people to do uh, is not to inject people with naloxone and then phone the ambulance. What we teach people to do is get the ambulance on the way and then use the naloxone. But what we teach people to do is like your basic first aid, make sure that you're not going to get hurt if you go over and try and help that person, their fingers aren't in a plug socket, it might not be an overdose. Uh, that Try and wake them up first. Try and get a response out of somebody because they could be asleep. And the last thing you want to do to someone sleeping is shove something, shove a needle into their into their leg. They tend <laughs> not, people tend not to like that. No, they don't. No. And then send for help. And then once you start sending for help, you've got a coach on the phone who can talk you through all sorts of other things. The training is really really quick and easy if you follow those steps. But uh, but yes, we do encourage people to send uh, to get the ambulance on the way and there has been a myth for a very very long time uh and it's come from somewhere justifiable that the police will attend with an opioid with an opioid overdose they are uh, the only time the police attend an overdose is if they think that the emergency services that are going to attend are in trouble if they mm-hmm. think that they're going to get hurt which they won't so if uh so if if the if the call center feels like the ambulance crew might be uh, might be at risk the police will go with them. That happens very very rarely. The other thing that is interesting to bear in mind though is that all of those services are first responders, so what happens in lots of places is the fire brigade are uh less busy than the ambulance, so the fire brigade attend so there's uh it's uh, it's, it's i mean predominantly here it would be an ambulance, but it is also worth thinking that. Uh, it might not always be the ambos that show up But the pe- they've got one job in mind Which is saving that person's life No yeah. matter who shows up
0: Which is what you should have as yourself So forget about whatever the repercussions yeah, are absolutely. The repercussion is that you want the person yeah. to live
1: yeah. So, yeah, so that's what naloxone is But what I'm interested in is this yep. so get... works in the UK Because I could talk underwater
0: <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to digress on that because the, No, I, it's, I a did, well, yeah, it's a good as, point as to make As you're aware, Craig, I know of a bloke who died Because he was left Yes. All right, and so well, I, I don't, you know it yeah. shouldn't happen.
2: No, it shouldn't ever happen. Um in the UK where our naloxone programs are a bit younger, I think mm. than you've got here. So naloxone wasn't easily available in the UK. It was available going back years if you had a GP who was willing to prescribe it, but nobody thought to ask about that. So it's only in the last few years that we've started getting naloxone being distributed via drug programs in the UK and we had a law change to make it that they didn't have to be prescription, that if you were a drugs worker you could give somebody naloxone Um, the problem was that when they they made that change that change didn't come with any funding that change didn't come with any guidelines to say you have to do this in your area so you ended up with this postcode lottery Scotland had a national programme but in England it was up to each commissioner whether or not they had naloxone in their area so I I was told at one meeting that in an area I live in that it wasn't a financial priority to give out naloxone we had people dying but it wasn't a financial priority to do it this is this is a medication which, shape. which is twenty pounds, so thirty bucks um, to save to save a life, but that's not a financial priority. And the, the balls to say something like that is how how somebody can do that and then carry on doing their job. I don't know. It's a disgrace. But the, it, we now we now give it out. Some places give it out with some quite fierce restrictions. You've got to be engaged with the program that's there. It's not just anybody can come in and get it. You've got to be in treatment, these kind of things. Um, Some places give it out quite freely. Um, So, for instance, Birmingham is a fantastic place to get naloxone in the UK. Derby is really restrictive. Birmingham and Derby are 20 miles apart, 20, 30 miles apart. Um, Big as so I'm from I'm from Derby, but I get my naloxone from Birmingham.
0: It's like it's like uh, the black market sort of stuff, is it?
2: Yeah. Um, oh, idea. <laughs> but the in in the UK we're at our highest levels of drug-related death ever, and we've been able to say that for the past five or six years. And we're so we've now got naloxone, but the drug-related deaths are going up. So we know lives are being saved and yet we've still got hydrocodone deaths. We're told that our opiate use is going down in the UK, but our opiate deaths are going up, which to me means that while we're being told we've got over the last five years twice as many opiate deaths, if you take into account that less people are using and we've got more naloxone about, we've probably actually got maybe 10, 15 times as many overdoses as we used to have.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So something, something bad is happening there, and the way that harm reduction is funded in the UK changed about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, and a lot of harm reduction funding got taken away. Programs were told if they kept harm reduction in their, the name of their program even that they'd lose funding um, in a couple of cases. And we've, we've gone to a very recovery-focused mode in the UK, which is fantastic from the point of view of recovery, but recovery's always done well. You've got NA, AA, who've always done really well at protecting their own community. And it's people who have stopped using drugs who are in recovery. But now we've got all the funding going to people who've stopped using drugs rather than funding services for people who are still at risk. And to me, that seems... An upside-down way of
0: funding stuff. Yeah, I was going to say horse mm. before the you know, cab, before yeah. the horse, mm. sort of stuff. It's, it's
2: like having all of your insurance okay. funding on you. You charge the highest premiums to the people who are absolutely safe drivers, and the lowest premiums to the people who crash every day. You, it's it's the wrong way round of doing things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, the uh, I certainly, I mean, I watched the uh, the recovery. Uh, the recovery movement in the UK Uh, and it wasn't that long I I hadn't been gone all that long when it began.
2: The the, the recovery movement is very little, I I wouldn't say that the recovery movement in the UK are very Mm -hmm. good at supporting harm reduction. Yeah. It was the way that government. Yeah the politics kind of took the 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 recovery Mm -hmm. thing as being a way of reducing funding because it's cheaper Mm -hmm. to fund something where people are doing caring for each other in ways that they were never paid for and you keep them caring for each other in ways they were never paid for and just pay for a bit of a building for them than it is to pay for a whole load of staff to distribute needle exchange. Mm. So we've got needle exchanges closing in the UK now.
0: So which, 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 sorry, you're referring there to NANAA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics in, Anonymous? In, 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 yes. And, and, and mm. programmes like
2: that, which are, which are fantastic, yeah. but they don't need as much funding. No, which I know exactly, which means that the driven. government can then cut funding mm. and say we've still got services.
1: What seems really unusual to me is the, uh, is the, 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 the idea that, that, uh, that needle syringe programs are closing. When you look at the return on investment report, uh, the second return on investment report there's been to in needle syringe programs in Australia, uh, the cost savings, first of all, I mean, this is a trope, I've mentioned it endless times before you know every dollar we we spend on a uh, on a on safe injection equipment saves us x dollars uh in healthcare costs etc you know we uh, we when we spend that amount of money we save hundreds of thousands of disability adjusted life years people that continue to live healthy lives but one of the things it makes very very clear is that if we want to carry on our success we can't have our funding frozen in time we have to keep up with population growth and people using drugs and uh, and ageing cohorts of people that have got different needs, we've got to become more nuanced. We've got to become better at our work. We can't freeze our funding in a moment of time and go, "This is what they do. They're brilliant," and then not put another cent into them. You know, the the idea of something being frozen mm. is, seems absurd. Let alone closing them down. I mean, when you look at when you look at our numbers, uh, our numbers in Greater Geelong. We give out uh we give out some in there uh, in the region last year of five hundred to six hundred thousand uh pieces of equipment. Uh, and that number has gone up every single year. We keep on giving out more and more equipment. That doesn't necessarily mean there's more and more people, but it might suggest there are. We've got a population growth, and a certain percentage of the population will be people that choose to inject substances of some description. So we can't, you know, rest on our laurels and just assume it's going to be, it's going to be okay. The idea of closing down needle syringe programs in a country like the UK, which has, again, huge population growth, uh, seems... Insane to me
2: mm-hmm. and he, i mean we've we 've now got projects that are putting in restrictions on the number of needles you can take away as well in certain parts of the u k which well, was... used, which used to be a, a way of doing it and if you consider that if you take the number of needles that are given out there 's probably enough for each person who injects to have one fresh one every two days. <laughs> So, um,
0: so, I mean, you're creating your hep C's that are going to blow right yeah. through the whole lot. It's just we, got all the repercussions. And, and, in. and it's, it's,
2: it's all well and good to to say, well, we don't want a needle on the street because we're afraid that a kid will come along and get spiked and get a disease. Th- that's never happened yet. And but, geez, but, it's a but threat. threat. It's a threat, and, it's, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's terrifying to look at, and it's ugly to look at. <laughs> but I want, if there's a needle on the street, I want that needle to not have a virus in it and the way to not have a virus in it is to make sure that there's enough equipment given out for the people who Mm. need it. So here you've Mm. got that many pieces of equipment Mm. and it going up could just mean that people are now more likely to be taking the amount
1: that they need rather
2: than the amount they
1: think they could have. And you know the other thing that's really troublesome in this Mm. is that if you come in to see me uh, in the needle syringe program, Greg, and currently you come in and you ask for a thousand needles or you ask for five you get the number that you're asking for and we you know we don't have a discussion the only discussion i've had is you've got a big enough carrier back yeah. you know have you got enough space to carry these needles home the conversation if you were to come in and say can i have 50 needles and i say no you can have 10 or no, I'll change it. Can I? Can you have? Uh, can I have two needles? He said no. I can only give you one. What I'm saying is, the next injection at the end, they we're not going, we're not we're not going to support that. It doesn't that next injection is okay for that to be unsterile? And it also goes back to the conversation we are having about supervised injection facilities, which I really want to talk about, yeah. because what we currently have in. The overwhelming majority of land mass in the Southern Hemisphere, with the exception of people, with the exception of Sydney and Melbourne, is you come in and collect equipment from a, from a safe, sterile space where we give you lots and lots of advice. And then we say, but don't die here. Go somewhere else. We even, can't... even
2: when we know that person is homeless.
1: Even yeah. when we know that person
2: is, is likely to be using in the car park across the road.
1: Yeah. Go somewhere else. Don't... Uh... Don't use here. Here's the equipment to do it safely, but go and use it in the most uh, go and use it in the most unsafe place that you possibly can. So when we you, initially, when you were talking about the fact there aren't any supervised injecting facilities or drug consumption rooms or whatever, whatever, you, however you want to describe them uh, in the UK, I'm an, I'm a, I'm as shocked as you are. It's a, as, as abhorrent to me uh, yeah. as it is to you. It's abhorrent that it took us so long to get one in Melbourne, uh, in a place which. Uh, I worked in. When I first arrived in Australia, it was my first job. I worked there as an overdose response worker, and I responded to people overdosed in car parks and laneways every day of the week, and that was 12 years ago. And we opened the doors to something a matter of you know a matter of weeks ago. It's insane how many people's lives might have been saved in that time.
0: That's right. And so you you're looking at. Not only with the NSP program, needle and syringe program, you're mm. you're getting the person to talk with you because mm. they're on exchange, mm. so it gives you the chance to mm. well have the conversation. How you are going, mate? Whatever, or your you know, relationship building. Your relationship building, and the same if you've got a safe injecting room or an exchange or mm. a safe a safe room, mm. that uh, you've got that face to face to be able to talk to them about what what's driving them, and
1: well beyond that, it says that we care
0: and be, and you, you care yep.
1: that we care about people, and 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 they matter. Those people's lives matter to us.
0: Have you got a song about care? Uh, because okay. we're going to, we <laughs> need to have a little break. I need to have a bit of, a, ch- a, bit of a, a break here for a moment. Look, this is Community Connect with Greg and Edwina McHenry on OCRFM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast, where we're streaming live at all the W's, OCRFM.org.au, with Craig Harvey and Nigel Brunson and Edwina McHenry. And we're going to have a little track from Craig Harvey who, uh, well, yeah, we're talking a lot of stuff and we'll get a little bit more out of you as we go. So who's this going to be by, Craig? Well, look, I haven't
1: uh, I haven't got a song uh, that's titled I Care, but I do have a song which I uh, which I think Nigel might appreciate. So it's a message to you, Rudy.
0: OK, we're going to hear that right now. You know, just push your button. We you here, welcome back to Community Connect with Greg and Edwina on... OCR FM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast, where we've got Craig Harvey from Bowen Health and Nigel Brunston, who is a, well, a photog- photographer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And Edwina, hi again, Edwina. Um, the short amount of time we've got, we still haven't really talked about the awareness of the overdose day itself, Craig, but mm-hmm. in terms of the safe injecting rooms and things yeah. like that
1: yeah I, I mean this this is another reason why nigel 's here and it 's really interesting to talk about this and hear about it because we 've been talking a little bit about humans lives and how much and how much people matter and we were just talking about supervised injecting facilities so nigel 's here doing a uh, doing a project talking about uh, documenting the way in which those spaces work and operate and who they help and uh, and who 's there within them and who's providing the support and help. So I don't know the I'm not sure exactly how the whole thing began really. So Nigel might be able to explain that a little bit better, but it's great that he got him here. <laughs>
2: um yeah, I I got a email from um the medical director of the injecting room in Sydney. Um because I'd taken some photos of her at a conference she was and she that she liked it and then I put up my website to do with the harm reduction photography she decided that she wanted me to come and document the work that they're doing there and they've been doing that work for quite a while um, so she, she managed to find some funding for, to cover my airfare because I'm from the UK, I'm not from just up the road um, that meant that she then had to put in bids to say that it would be cheaper to bring me from the other side of the world than it would be to hire a photographer locally the fact that I don't charge for my services probably helps in that, because <laughs> um, I, I don't value my own
1: I give everything away. It's great. Hence, why I was able to go and steal these posters and howie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but so I'm going to be going. I've I've already been to the site at North Richmond here, and I'm going to be going over to Sydney in about a week or so's time, to photograph the projects photograph some of the staff that are delivering those projects and then doing other photography work with the people who use the services so that that's not photos that would appear anywhere on any of my websites or in any of my work but it's stuff that's just for them so i know there's a plan over in sydney to give people makeovers and do sort of almost before and after photography so that they can have some really nice photographs of themselves to show you know that they are valuable human beings Um, And a lot of it is just about I can then use those images from Sydney. They can use the images for however they want in their own publications, their own media, promoting their own service. But then I can take those images back to the UK and I can put those with those photography images. I've got of drug related litter and public injecting spaces, which, you know, we have some of the worst Where, where, where people inject is where people toilet at two in the morning when they're injecting on the street and I can show that this is a better way of doing this and that can help us in the UK maybe take that step forward I mean we've got Glasgow in the UK might get one soon they they've they've got it all supported but the government needs to change the law to allow them to do it and they're not in a position where they will just say oh sod it we're going to do it anyway which is more the position I'm sort of in um but I don't have a twenty million budget like they have, um, so th- and that's what part of the photography works here. And then I'm going to be giving a couple of talks as well while I'm here, um, but it's it's wonderfully coincided with International Overdose Awareness Day. Yeah, yeah.
1: And the uh, and for the people, the listeners that haven't come across that day, we've we've been remembering this day since two thousand and one. Uh, it's an Australian. Campaign. It's a global campaign now, uh, and this year, I think there's 500 events happening from everywhere, from Kazakhstan to China to the States to the UK to Australia. There, these these events are everywhere now. But it began. I can tell you a little bit about its yes, beginnings because I think it's really it, I think it's really poignant. Uh, there was a there is not was she's still with us. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a needle syringe program worker by the name of Finn uh, S J Finn who in 2001 was approached by a local benevolent chap who was going around services with some money that he wanted to donate and finding out what people wanted to do with the money. And it dawned on Finn that uh, we don't remember this day. We don't provide a space for people to grieve and to remember the lives of people that have been lost. So that year... They, and they purchased some silver ribbons and they tied up some ribbons they faced the other way as opposed to some of the other ribbons that you see as their mark of difference uh, and they had to go back and buy more and make more and that year they gave out 6,000 of those ribbons uh, mm-hmm. there was other events that year that took place uh, in other parts of the world as well but it's grown exponentially year in, year out and it's this one day of the year the 31st of August where we stop for a minute and remember all the people's lives that uh, that have been lost to what, you know, which by and large sometimes are preventable. You know, a lot we know a lot of these drug-related deaths are preventable. People don't need to die. Uh, mm. And it's a way of remembering them and saying that, you know, we care about them and we haven't forgotten you and you were loved. Uh, and we keep on doing it year in, year out. So this year we've got thankfully, Nigel here, to mm-hmm. do something different and photography is a really interesting point my last thing I'm going to say on mm-hmm. it, the, it it seems like an odd juxtaposition you know, we think, we think about our work with humans and we think about needle exchanges and pharmacotherapy programs, giving people methadone, it's treatment, etc, etc, etc but we can't stop at just doing the same old things, we've got to think of other ways to reach people and to document the work and how, what do we do differently what do we do next and Nigel's work, and I recommend everyone go and have a look at uh, yeah, that's.
0: I'll just give that, that's nigel n-i-g-e-l-b-r-u-n-s-d-o-n dot com
1: And have a look at some of that work there because what this does is this is humanising the work, it's putting the face, uh, it's bringing, peop- bringing this uh, into the limelight and it's reaching more and more people and there's no point preaching to the converted, we've got to talk to everybody if we want to change these numbers
0: We do. Um, We really haven't got the time to go into the collateral damage that goes on with incomplete overdosing or where Mm -hmm. people are left damaged, ABI, acquired brain injuries, Mm. families, mums, dads, grandmums, granddads, children.
1: Yeah, it's not just the person. It's
0: not just the person. It's collateral damage all the way around. It's the
2: whole of society. Everybody knows somebody. Uh, is he using drugs
0: and as I said it's the use of the drug we're not going to stop that because it's been going on since humans found whatever they found in the ground that they were able to just bend themselves a little bit with
1: and nor should we stop it
0: no um, because
1: the vast majority the overwhelming majority of people use drugs in a really really safe and uh, yeah. safe way
0: Okay. I um, Yes, so look, I really—it's wonderful that we were able to get hold of this. And I've got it. Uh, while we're at it, I've got to thank 94.7 The Pulse in Geelong for um, further assisting us in being able to do this today. Mm-hmm. Um, numbers to give out: Barwon Health um, covers Colac and District as well as Geelong and District and whatever else we see. One three hundred number, uh, Craig. One three hundred zero nine four one eight seven. They'll be, I'll be putting on the blog for. Um, we'll be putting up a podcast so you'll be able to put it up and you can listen to it back in the UK Nigel
2: yeah my wife's already asked for (laughs) to be able to listen to it, I told her it wasn't going to be available but Craig's decided to help me be. and send her a message about it.
0: And you could have told her that we're streaming live as well. Yeah, I, wouldn't,
2: I wouldn't be telling her that because you never know, I might have, I might have made a fool of myself I don't, I don't know yet. Yeah.
0: Well, you didn't. I think you've done wonderfully, thank you very, very much. I'm going to also be putting up the National Helpline, Direct Line and um, also for people to wonder if they want to find out more about the organisation you're with, it's uk. Um, and if you want to find out more about the overdose day itself, it's all the W's, So there'll be a few of those things. I'll put them up on the blog that goes with the podcast. Mm-hmm. And all I can do is thank you, Craig, for organising, Nigel.
1: And thanks for having us, Greg. Yeah, it's well,
0: been great. And, thank you. And thank you, Ed. And, and I think we were both eclipsed a little bit by our guests, guests today because I've got so much to say, and it's something that is pretty close to our hearts too. It sure is. I
1: and, could have
0: and, listened all day. Yep. Yeah, so the people out there listen. the you know, youngins and they're, they're going to be uh, not playing with, they're going to t- test things out. They test the water, as you know, in most regards. Um, so, yeah, reduction. Absolutely. That's what we're about. I'm going to put on a track... Oh, no, I bet it's who's on next week. Next week we'll be talking with Rebecca Callahan from the Barwon South West Homeless Net- Net- Homelessness Network. Um, homelessness is a big thing. It's uh, got a lot of different variations. We'll be talking about that with her next week. And I'm not sure if she'll bring in a guest as well. So that should be good. But anyway, we're going to go out with a track now by Ben Lee, which is we're all in this together, and I think it's quite appropriate that we play a track such as that. You've been listening to... Community Connect with Greg and Ed Wiener-McHenry on FM 98.3 and 88.7 along the coast, is it? and we will talk to you again next week. Cheers.